Great to see you. This is uh, the fourth and final week of our Bold series. Many of you have been responding with new levels of boldness during this series. That's encouraging. January is a great time for stepping up and recommitting. Uh, Get this year started right. And I'd rather talk about being bold than being cold anytime. I was in Atlanta this week, and they were having a cold snap. Of course they were. And uh, because cold snaps follow me, you've heard of mobile hotspots. I'm a mobile cold snap. And uh, cold, cold follows me. And it was right around freezing temperature in Atlanta, which I know is not too bad. But for some reason, buildings in the south are committed to making sure that, that rooms inside the building are always 10 degrees colder than the temperature outside. Like they just jack the air conditioning all the time. And, and here these Canadians are in there perishing and uh, dying of uh, exposure inside the buildings. And uh, you don't feel bad for me, do you? At all? No. Okay, I need to back this up a little bit. I feel like this thing is encroaching and pushing me into the tank. There, back up. Um, Next week, we kick off a brand new series on the book of Daniel, and uh, the name of the series is Roar, and uh, Beth Moore is coming in to teach, and Katy Perry is going to sing Roar every Sunday. So uh, I made that up. Although, we might get Mike Tapper to do an interpretive dance to Roar. So what do you think? (laughs) Oh, we love Tapper. Um... We started this series uh, a long time ago, the beginning of January, talking about bold prayers, to keep praying, to pray big prayers, don't let the enemy discourage you, don't give up, Uh, and being reminded that prayer is not the only thing that we can do, prayer is the best thing that we can do, and then we talked the second week about bold faith, faith that believes in God's plan and God's best, even if it seems like your dream is dying or, you, or you, you're starting to lose sight of where God is taking you, faith that isn't built on circumstances, but it's built on God's character and who God is. Last Sunday, we talked about bold witness. If the resurrection of Jesus is uh, really true, then we have every reason to boldly share Jesus and to let our light shine for Jesus. We don't have to go underground. We don't have to stay quiet or avoid talking about Jesus. But we can, all of us, we can live invitational lives. Uh, One invite can change a person's life for eternity. That might be your story. One invite can change someone's life for eternity. One invite can can change a family's spiritual tree, like generations to follow can come to Jesus. Like maybe some of you are here this morning because because somebody invited your grandparents to church or your great-grandparents, they told them about Jesus, and that that has been the story of your, your spiritual story in your family tree. So one invite can change a person's life forever. So we talked last week about needing a fresh urgency and, a, and renewed passion for spiritually lost people. Today we're going to talk about, bless you, today we're going to talk about, there was a sneeze, was there not? Because yeah. it'd be really weird if I just said bless you but nobody sneezed. <laughs> You're like, squirrel. Okay, today, today we're going to talk about what it means uh, for us to be bold in our worship. And worship, worship is like prayer. It, it, it's a vast topic that it defines 
your response to who God is in every area of your life. Okay, worship defines your response to who God is in every area of your life. And sometimes we refer to this time uh, on Sunday mornings as our, as our time of worship, right? Speaking of sneezing and, things, and squirrels, I'm going to need a tissue. I'm actually about to drip on the stage. If you want to zoom in on that. Debbie Way, Dale, this is the executive pastor's job. To, you're doing a great job there. Oh, you didn't even take it out for me. You might need more. All right, I might need more because we're talking about, about worship. And the reason why I'm leaking this morning is because of the time of, of worship that we just had. Hats out for a segue. So, yeah, well, thanks. You clap and I'll wipe. All right. So... Sometimes we refer to this time on Sundays as our time in worship, and and it is that. But this time on Sunday mornings is not meant to be the grand total of your worship for a whole week. Okay? This is this is to help. This is this is a this is a boost, but this isn't supposed to be all you get for the week. So if you are living for Jesus, if you call yourself a Christ follower, you offer back your life in worship to Jesus. You, you worship should just come out of your life as you respond to Jesus with, with your time, with your work, with your marriage, your relationships, your prayer life, your personal times of worship, your finances, your decisions. You just, you just keep pointing your life in the direction of Jesus. You honor God with all that you have, with all of it. You honor God with everything, every moment of your life, and, and you just live in a rhythm of worship. So it's both. Worship is the way that you give your life back to God, but it's also this corporate experience that we encounter on Sunday mornings and coming soon to a Moncton Wesleyan near you, a monthly night of ministry that God is calling us to, all of us to, that's, that's still taking shape, but it's warning it's coming, all right? So it, it would have been uh, wackadoodle weird. That's a, that's a technical theological term. It would have been wackadoodle weird for early Christians to make their way to the temple or to the home that they were going to be worshiping in and uh, on, on their way to that meeting it'd be wackadoodle weird for early Christians to be thinking this had better be good they better not waste my time if the music isn't perfect and if the pitch isn't perfect and if the lighting isn't perfect And if the sound isn't perfect, and if they don't sing my songs, I'm just going to hang out here in the foyer until this gong show is over. Right? That would have been weird. It would be completely foreign for the first followers of Jesus to approach worship by what they might get out of it or what it would do for them. Because worship was was about what you brought to Almighty God. In humility, almost, almost fearful of, of stepping into the presence of God, recognizing his, his majesty, recognizing his grandeur, his omnipotence, and, and your unworthiness, offering your very, very best to God because, because anything less than your very best sacrifice wasn't worship at all. 
It was a ripoff. And so you gave God your very, very best. Weather didn't keep you from worship. You know the kind of weather I'm talking about? Like, I'm not sure whether or not I'll go to church today. You ever, you ever, you ever have that kind of a Sunday morning weather effect going on? Like, I don't know whether or not this is, this, you know, I don't know. I went last week. I might go next week. My bed is warm. Don't let your weather be the tether that keeps you from going to church. I remember my first trip into Mozambique and worshiping at a, at a, at a church in a very remote village, uh, literally jungle. And so church was, I don't know, four or six sticks with a partial tin roof, right? That was church. And so sometime near the appointed hour, because nothing's, nothing is on an hour when you're in the deep parts of Mozambique, but people just start com- literally coming out of the woodwork, out of, out of the woods, bringing, carrying their own chairs. See, a lot of you would be, you'd be out right there. <laughs> what? There's no chairs? I'm not, I'm not going to a church that doesn't have chairs. You know, I mean, you got the best seats in Moncton right here. Are you awake? Those chairs are almost a little too good, aren't they? I hear you snoring. Wakey, wakey. So they would, here are these beautiful people dressed impeccably, walking out of the woods with their chairs, singing and dancing on their way to church, right? singing and dancing on their, on their way to church. I mean, that was the warm-up. And then they sang and danced for an hour. That was another warm-up. And I can't dance. And then, but you dance because somebody grabs you and you just, you just start dancing. Then they sang and danced their way through the offering, each person dancing their gift to the front of this little church. And I watched one woman come forward and she placed two live chickens, two little live chickens in the offering. And that was her very best. That was her gift back to God for all that he had done for her. And it was, it was like the most beautiful offering I'd ever seen. I looked at those chickens and I thought, that's beautiful. That's, that's, now that's a, that's a gift. A similar scene plays out in John chapter 12. Jesus is at the home of Lazarus. Uh, This is Lazarus after Jesus raised him back from the dead. And a spontaneous worship service breaks out when a woman comes to Jesus and offers him the very best that she has. It's John chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. John says that six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the one he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. 
But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus again. <laughs> kill him. For it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. If you are dead and I bring you back to life, if you die this week and I bring you back to life, you're taking me to my favorite restaurant. <laughs> and I'm ordering whatever I want, and I'm having dessert. In fact, I know exactly where we're going, and I know what, I, I know what I'm having. Jesus brought his good friend Lazarus back from the dead, and now Lazarus and his family are having a special meal. They're thanking and honoring Jesus. Now, don't forget, salvation, your salvation, is, is coming back from the dead. That's what salvation is. You were dead in your sins before you met Jesus. Not sick, not with a cough. You didn't have a little sniffle. You were dead. And when you think about all that God has done for you, to save you and to rescue you, you want to invite Jesus into your home and you want to serve him, give him the best that you have because he is worthy. Salvation is a feast. It's a feast. And everyone is, is eating, and they're fellowshipping, and they're having this great time. They're having their coffee, and they're, they're eating their pizza for Haiti, you know, and all that. And while the others in the room are filling their stomachs, Mary is filling her heart. And she's thinking about how much she loves Jesus. About how grateful she is to know the Son of God. And she's playing this video in her mind of all that she's seen Jesus do and what she's heard Jesus say and what he's done in her life and for her family. And in this moment, she's had all that she can stand. She can't stand anymore. And she's about to have church. She, this is, she's gonna have church regardless of what anybody else does. And if, if no one else falls at his feet and worships him, she's going to. She's not going to miss an opportunity to give Jesus her best. And overwhelmed with the presence of God, she reaches up for her most precious gift and she pours out an offering for her Savior, a lavish love offering. It's a year's worth of wages for the average person. Okay? It'd be the same for us. We take the average wage of an average person and it's a year's worth of wage. And she probably wasn't capable of, of saving that up. This, this could have been passed on to her from her family. Who knows how long this had been in the family. This was something to be cherished and protected, uh, to be used sparingly or, or not at all and maybe pass it down to, to her children. If you break this jar out of carelessness, you've lost something that you can never get back. Steal it and, and you've taken someone's inheritance 
if you steal it, maybe you've taken someone's retirement, like maybe that's what she was depending on for, for, for old age. This, this jar represents to Mary, it represents security, it represents uh, stability, it represents good management. 12 ounces of pure nard perfume imported from India. This is not Brute 33. <laughs> or Old Spice or whatever else you guys use. Aqua Velva. <laughs> and, and John doesn't want us to see any hesitation. He doesn't want us to, to think of her, you know, mulling this over or anything like that. He wants you to see impulse and emotion and worship on a level that does not make sense. She took it, and she probably had to, to break it. It would have been sealed. She probably had to break it to get the top off, and then she poured it out. She took it, and she broke it, and then she poured it. And six days later, God would take his most precious possession, Jesus, and he would break him on the cross of Calvary for us. And then he would pour him out, pour out his life as an offering for us. Too often, we calculate the cost of worship. You might look at something lavish and then, and then, ah, and then talk yourself out of it. We, we calculate down to the dime and down to the time. We calculate things like what will others think about us. We read the room and we just, we try to fit in. We have our comfort zones and our appearances to keep and we have our traditions and we calculate our response to God by what, by what we think would be an appropriate response to God. Not by what we think would be lavish or even by what we think God deserves. We calculate by what we think. Now let's talk about some of these things. And don't be too upset when I pick on your thing because by the time I'm done, I'll offend the whole room. So if yours isn't the first one, yours is coming and, and uh, I just want to be fair. What would it look like for you to give lavishly to Jesus? to grab something huge off the shelf of your resources and pour it out regardless of what others think without thinking about it, just doing it because of who God is. And I'm not, I'm not telling you to be irresponsible to yourself. I'm telling us to be responsible to the Holy Spirit. Are we listening? Are we even willing and, and this, has, this has nothing to do with what the church needs. This is a worship response that recognizes where it all comes from and, and just recognizes how beautiful Jesus really is. What would it look like for us, all of us, to be lavish with our time, our worship attendance, we need to be more regular. You've heard me say that. It's a bad t-shirt, but, but it sounds okay when I say it this way. Promoting regularity at Moncton Wesleyan. 
How many Sundays a month is God worthy of your physical worship with the body of Christ? And thank you, Shirley, and you're here almost all the time. How many Sundays a month is God worthy of your attendance? Is God worthy of you showing up physically to worship him with the body of Christ? We're, we're a much stronger church than, we, than we're flexing week to week. Um, and I know this is like Buckley's, but stick with me. Because we could be full to capacity with momentum, all of us, all in like an army every week pursuing the vision that God has given us for this city for, to reach people for Jesus Christ. We're stronger together, but we're hardly ever together. Hardly ever. And it's not just showing up, I get that. And it's not about attendance, I get that. And if you know me, you know that I get that. It's not the numbers that I'm after, it's the sacrifice. It's, it's the surrender. And what I want for you is for you to not let anything keep you from the house of God and the body of Christ. And then I'm writing this and I, and I think, well, you're preaching to the choir. They're all here. But you're not all here each week. And, and if you know people who aren't here, you can tell them to watch this online and then tell them to go to church. I need to preach this about six weeks in a row. All right, the next one. What would it look like for us to be lavish with our worship expression? And I'm not talking about moving away from being Wesleyan. I'm talking about being more Wesleyan than we've ever been before. And some of you who have been around here a long time, you know what I mean because you can remember church services when the fire of God fell. And you could tell stories, you could tell stories of when you were in Wesleyan church services that would, that would blow people's minds and they would think, are you kidding me? Like that stuff actually happened? Like I'm talking about being more Wesleyan. Holy Spirit fire moving and falling in worship is nothing new to Wesleyans. That's nothing new. That's a part of our story. That's, that, that our roots are, are, are there. And I don't, now hear me clearly now. Hear me clearly. I don't mean man-made ecstatic emotionalism. I mean people with open hearts responding to worship to the very presence of the living God being with us, okay? I mean people, uh, I don't mean chaos. I don't mean chaos. I mean freedom. We, in this lower level especially, we made the floor downhill so your feet can't stay still. How's that? Some of you haven't clapped in church so long, you'd have to reintroduce your right hand to your left. There's two of you. Whoa. We raise, why do we raise our hands in worship? You ever wonder about that? We raise our hands in worship. We're agreeing with the Spirit of God. We're saying, yes, Lord, this is true in my life. This is true in my life. We hold our hands out, inviting the Holy Spirit to fill every part of our lives. We come forward. Why do people come forward? We come forward in prayer and worship because 
because we want to be at the altar of God, the altar area of God, giving an, giving an offering of worship, laying our lives. I know this doesn't, it doesn't look much like an altar, but, but, but it's, it's in coming forward, we're saying, I surrender all. I, will, I just want to lay my whole life down. If the people who are moving are getting ready for baptism, so don't be alarmed. We come closer to the altar area of God, giving God uh, an offering of worship, laying our lives down at the altar, throwing everything else aside, kneeling or falling down, face down before a holy God, taking the posture of humility, humbly asking the Lord for more. And if the Lord is speaking anything to me on this, and he is, this is, this is what I want you to see this morning. If we will lavishly pour out our praise, God will abundantly pour out his spirit. If we will lavishly pour out our praise, God will abundantly pour out his spirit and we'll see Jesus like never before. And we've come a long ways in the last few years and being more responsive and, and, and being free in our worship, but we can't stay here. There's more, there's more. Back to verse three. Let's go back and read verse three again. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the, with the fragrance. Mary anointing Jesus with oil was foreshadow to preparing his body for burial. The very next day after this event, Jesus would make his triumphal entry into Jerusalem which was the first domino of events, if you will, leading straight to the crucifixion six days later. Now watch this. Mary's act of worship, her worship is applied directly to the coming death and burial of Jesus. This precious oil, something that you might save for a loved one, if you were preparing a loved one for burial and you didn't want the, the decay process to be all that and you thought, I'm gonna cover my loved one with, with this oil. Jesus' death, of course, we know now that it wasn't, it wasn't final and it was necessary. Jesus' death was necessary to pay the penalty for our sin and, and break us free from the power of sin, the power of death and the grave. And so worship what we see in Mary's act is that worship brings us closer to Jesus, closer to his death than ever before. When we worship, when we truly, lavishly worship, we bury our sins with Jesus. We, we, we confess, we surrender, we repent, we come clean before Jesus. We open ourselves up, our, our entire lives, we open ourselves up to the power washing of our souls by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You see, pure and lavish worship sends sin to its grave and it raises us up in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are so many things happening in the story that, that aren't proper custom of the day. You have a woman approaching a rabbi, touching his feet, touching anyone's feet. Like, they just didn't do that. Dumping 
a year's worth of salary on his body. And then, get ready to gasp. Are you ready to gasp? Anyone? Get ready to gasp. She lets down her hair. Hey, good job. And the picture of this woman, Mary, completely, spontaneously pouring herself out without care or shame, completely undignified. This is the picture of worship. This is the picture of just being lost in the presence of Jesus. And the only one, John tells us that the only one who objects to this is the one in the room with sin in his heart, Judas. Judas wanted to to sell the, the, the perfume and put the coin in the treasury. Why? So he could dip his own hands into it. He wanted to steal. He wanted to rob an act of worship for his own gain. And when we hold back, when we hold out in worship, we can be guilty of taking something that isn't ours, gang. Worship that doesn't cost you anything, it robs you, and it leaves you with less. You don't gain by holding back, you lose. John says that the room was filled with fragrance. And anyone who came near that home, probably for, it probably stayed on that home for days after the event, they would know that something special had happened there. Because real worship gets on you. It gets all over you. And you can't hide it. When you spontaneously pour out something lavish on Jesus, it just, it just overtakes you. And it lingers with you. The aroma of this room needs to be the aroma of worship. Even more so than coffee. It needs to be the aroma of worship in this room. Imagine, this room gets used a lot when you're not here during the week, rentals. Imagine if the rental groups that use this room came in here during the week and said, whoa. And they picked up on the aroma of worship. I remember walking into places like that in Israel where I walked in and my knees buckled. I was like, whoa. Wouldn't it be cool if some guy backs up the truck and he walks in here and his knees buckle? So, whoa, what is that? That's the aroma of worship. The scent of an offering that doesn't easily dissipate. What if you go to work tomorrow and your coworkers pick up on it? And they're like, ah, I know what you did this weekend. Somebody went to church. I can see it. You went to church, didn't you? Come on. What is that? It's the aroma of worship. We should not be hurrying out of church, leaving early to beat traffic or to get a better seat at the restaurant. We should stay at the feet of Jesus, lingering getting all of God that we can get. There's no better seat in the city of Moncton than sitting at the feet of Jesus. The Apostle Paul 
could very well be referencing this act. I don't know that he is, but it sounds like he is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, Paul says, but thank God he has made us, he has made us captives. Hold it right there for a second. Uh, Mary falling at the feet of a rabbi would have been something that only a servant would have done to wash his feet when he came in from outside. So, so let's read it again. Paul says, but thank God he's made us captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Remember, Mary's act was the day before the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Now he uses us, us, to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a, say it with me, like a sweet perfume, like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing We are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, and we're going to celebrate this in a few minutes in baptisms, but to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? You see, we are not like the many hucksters who preach for personal profit. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. Isn't that a great text of scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Worship, gang, worship buries our sin. Worship erases our pride. Worship identifies Jesus as my Lord and my King. Worship is not a switch that I turn on. It's a posture that I live. Worship as if Jesus is the only one in the room. When it's Sunday and the door to God's house is open, don't let anything hold you back. Don't stay in worship out on the spectator edge. Jump in to the deep end of worship. Let's fill this place as often as we can with the aroma of worship that this church and that our lives would give off the glory of God in unmistakable ways that everyone would know that God is good and his mercy endures forever. All right, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna, I'm gonna pray. We're gonna pray together. Farron and the team are gonna lead us in a song of response. I'm going to uh, invite us to stand and uh, I expect that many of you will want to come forward uh, to the altar and give God a lavish gift of worship. Uh, Many of you who haven't moved your feet in years, you haven't seen the front of this church unless you've been pushing a vacuum. In years, we made it downhill to make it easy for you. Come. If you want to stand, stand. If you just want to be quiet and hold your hands up, whatever posture you want to take. If you want to kneel, kneel. If you want to fall face first on the, on the whatever. if you want to dance, dance. Respond in a way that says, Jesus, you are worthy.
You are worthy. So Farron's going to lead us in a song. We're going to all be worshiping together. And I'm going to uh, get my phone out of my pocket and take my microphone off and go in the baptism tank. And at the end of the first song, we're going to have baptisms. And then I'm going to invite, if there's anyone else here this morning who would like to be baptized, uh, yes, you didn't plan on it. You didn't bring a change of clothes and you will get wet. And I'm going to invite anyone else who wants to be baptized. You can either go backstage over here with, with some of our team and there's changing rooms and they've got clothes and they'll, they'll get you ready. Or you can just come as you are, step into the water, go home soaking, wringing wet, praising God, dancing all the way home, not even realizing it's minus 400 outside. You can do that. Let's fill this room with the aroma of worship. Let's all stand together. Jesus, you are here. And we recognize you right now as the risen, resurrected Son of God. There is no one else who is worthy of our praise. There is no one else as beautiful as you. God, when we consider who you are and what you've done for us, that, that we were dead in our sins before we came to Jesus Christ, realizing that you went to the cross for my sin and you let your body be broken and beaten and bruised and, and crucified for me, you paid the ultimate price for my sin. Jesus, what can I offer you? What gift can I bring? I bring you my all. I bring you my best. I bring you my everything this morning. And I worship you, Jesus, with all that I have in me. Lord, as I worship you in these next few moments, would you bury my sin? Would you power wash my soul? Would, would you help me offer something to you that is pure and lavish? I love you and I praise you. Now, God, be with us in our baptisms, be with those people who, whose tip toes are on the edge of baptism, on the edge of salvation right now. Would you just speak into their heart and uh, let them know that you're there, that you're with them, and invite them to come closer and to follow you uh, into baptism today. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.